If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, continuing our way through Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1, today we're looking at verses 9 through 18. Deuteronomy 1, 9 through 18. If you don't have your Bible, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 136. Page 136 in the pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then I invite you to take that pew Bible with you. And that's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Take it and use it for your, your, your benefit. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Now, if you go into a bookstore, just about any kind of bookstore, and, and you look around long enough, you're going to find a section, and usually it's a, a pretty good section on leadership uh, because there are just thousands and thousands upon books or thousands upon thousands of books out there on leadership uh, that's a big industry and so there's a lot of speakers out there who who they have their whole career uh, making a living off of talking about leadership a lot of people you know concerned about leadership interested in, in leadership and what it means to be a good leader but you know when you think about it when you if you want to be a good leader if you want to find some uh, good resources on leadership, you really have to look no further than God's Word because as you go through God's Word, you see over and over again that God gives us the qualities of godly leaders, good leaders. And so we come to one of those sections in Scripture today. In Deuteronomy 1, 9 through 18, we, we see here a section on leadership. Now, remember, this is, we're in that portion of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is formed like a Caesarean vassal treaty. We've talked about that in the past, and uh, so we're in that, the historical prologue. The historical prologue tells who God is, who Israel is, and why they're coming together in a covenant relationship. And one of the reasons that they're coming into this covenant relationship is because of God's faithfulness to his promises. God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would make his, 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 uh, his children, his people, as vast as the stars above, as much as the sands on the seashore. And he has done that. He has multiplied the people of Israel so much so that now they, they need leadership. They need leadership. Moses can't do it on his own. And so at this point in this text, this historical prologue, Moses is, is reflecting back on when they were at Mount Sinai, and he was there, and his, father Jeff, his father-in-law Jethro said, Come on, Moses, you're, you're, you're beating yourself up. You're taking on too much of this yourself. You need to appoint leaders. And so Moses prays to God, and God kept, tells him, Yes, you need to appoint leaders. And so now... God is showing him and showing the Israelites what a godly leader looks like or what a good leader looks like. And what we see in this text today is that a good leader is a godly leader. A good leader is a godly leader. If you want to be a good leader, pay attention. Pay attention because a good leader is a godly leader. And so, so today we're going to look at six qualities of a godly leader. Six qualities of a godly leader. Now, we think about this. As a church, we should be very interested in godly leadership. As we think about pastors, elders, uh, deacons, leadership within the church, we want men 
who, who display these qualities. You know, it's coming up. This month, we're going to start looking towards the next year, and we're going to elect deacons, active deacons, for the next year. And so as we, we think about that, we need to look for men who, who, ex, uh, uh, t- who display these qualities, who have these qualities in them. Now, you, you, you might say, well, I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not a deacon, I'm not a, a pastor, I'm none of those things. Well, well, I can just tune this out. No, no, no. Each and every one of us also need to, to look at these qualities of godly leadership because each and every one of us are leaders in one realm or the other of our lives. In the church, there's godly leaders who, who lead the church, excuse me, lead the church in the ministries of the church. But you may be a leader at work. You may be a leader at work. If you're a leader at work, you, you should adopt these qualities in your own life so that you can lead in a godly manner. Or maybe it's not the office, maybe it's at home. Mama, you're, you're leading your children. You're caring for your children. You need to lead them in a godly way. You need to be a godly leader to them. Husbands, you are the head of your household. God calls you to be a leader in your household, and you are to be a godly leader. You should exemplify these qualities in your life. You should try, strive to, to exemplify them, to, to make them a part of who you are. And so these qualities apply for each and every one of us. We're all leaders in some aspect or the other in our lives. And so we should want these, these qualities in ourselves, to see these qualities in ourselves. So this, these qualities are for each and every one of us. And so we should all aim for these qualities of godly leadership. So as we begin to look at our text this morning, please stand with me, if you will, as we read God's holy word, stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can, t- how can times Excuse me. How can I bear my, by myself the weight and burden of, your, of you and your strife? Choose for yourselves, choose for your tribes, wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And, and you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And, the com- and I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. 
Lord, may we hear it today. May our hearts be open to it. May our eyes see and our ears hear. And Lord, give our hearts the willingness to obey your word. Lord, may we apply these qualities to our own lives. Though imperfectly, Lord, may, may this be our goal, to have these qualities in us so that we might reflect your leadership over us. Now these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. So as we look then, we see here six qualities of a godly leader. Six qualities of a godly leader. The first, qualities that we, the first quality that we see here is the quality of wisdom. Wisdom. Now look down there at verses 13. Verse 13. Notice what he says there. Uh, how can I bear the weight? Bear the weight by myself, the weight of and burden of you and your strife. Choose from, choose for your tribes, wise, understanding and experienced men. Now those first two words there, wise and understanding, we can kind of put together in one group and call that wisdom. It's this idea of wisdom. The word understanding there has this idea of knowledge. The the root word means knowledge. It means having an intellectual knowledge of things. We might think of it as brain smarts, right? Head smarts, book smarts. We, we might talk of it as in those terms. It's having a knowledge of certain things. Now, what kind of knowledge should a godly leader look for? Well, uh, first of all, ha- he should have knowledge of God. He should know God. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, back in our Proverbs study, we studied that very verse, and you remember, the fear of the Lord means that we understand who God is. You, you, you know God. You know Him as creator, sustainer of all of the universe. He is sovereign God. And The fear of the Lord is understanding who God is and submitting to his sovereignty, submitting to his lordship over your life. If you want to be a godly leader, step number one is to submit yourself to the leadership of God, our creator. You have to know God. You've got to know who he is, what he has done, and submit to his leadership. So you have to know God, but you also have to know God's word. You have to know God's word. This becomes even more evident for us as we, when we get to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses begins to, to show what uh, the leaders of the nation are to do. As they establish their nation and begin to build the government, He establishes how the the leaders of the nation are to lead. And one of the things that he covers here is is the king. He says, "When when you look for a king, here is what the king must do. And he tells us this in in chapter 17, verse 18. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. This law, God's word, that was the... The, the, that was the whole of God's word that they had at that time, right? The law of Moses. And so the king was to write for himself in a book a copy of God's word, and that copy was to be approved by the Levitical priest. 
and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. A godly leader not only knows God, but a godly leader also knows God's word. He knows God's word. He, he's a student of God's word. He, he hides God's word in his heart. He pursues God's word. Oh, he may not be a, a biblical scholar, but he knows God's word. He, he's interested in God's word, and he studies God's word so that he might know it and know how to use it in life. So he has understanding. He has this intellectual knowledge. He knows God, and he knows God's word. But, but if you just have that intellectual knowledge, it, it really serves no good purpose, right? Because there's a lot of atheists out there who knows, who knows God's word, right? They know God's word. They study God's word academically, but they don't know how to apply it. For them, it's just information. But you see, if you want to be a godly leader, you don't, not only do you, do you need to know God and know God's word, you also need to know how to apply God's word to life. That is, you need wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge. Now you think about this, this is the difference between an encyclopedia and an instruction manual, right? An encyclopedia is full of a, a lot of great facts, and if you sit down with an encyclopedia, you can learn a lot of wonderful facts, but those facts don't tell you anything about how to apply them to your life, to make good out of them in your life. But an instruction manual, on the other hand, an instruction manual, it's full of facts too, but it takes those facts and orders them in such a way that it instructs you how to apply those facts to accomplish something. And see, that's what a leader is. A leader is like an instruction manual. He has the knowledge, but not only does he have that knowledge in his head, but he's, he's able to take that knowledge and use it and apply it to the life of the church, the life of the family, his own life or her own life. There's that wisdom, godly wisdom, knowing how to apply God's word to life. A godly leader is wise. He has wisdom. He knows God's word. He knows God and knows how to apply that word to life. Wisdom. A godly leader has wisdom. Second, a godly leader has experience. A godly leader has experience. It says that, that's the third quality there that we see in that, those, that list of three. Wise, understanding, and experienced men. Experience, now experience is not necessarily life experience, right? It, it's not necessarily uh, having old age, although that is good, right? You, you have life experience that, that helps you a lot. But here we have in mind more than just life experience, we have experience in the faith experience in the faith they had to have experience walking with the lord in fact we see that as a qualification in the new testament for new testament elders or pastors first timothy chapter 3 verse 6 
An elder must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must not be a new convert. Now, unfortunately, I've seen this happen before. I've seen this take place. I see a young man who, who comes to faith in the Lord and in his zeal for the faith, he immediately surrenders to the, the gospel ministry. Not to, to question his call, but, it, but he, he surrenders to the gospel ministry and, and the church's response to that call in his life is, like, all right, well, next week you preach. Right? He just became a believer and now next week they're going to put him in the pulpit to preach and, and then when he gets up there and he preaches although he he has a, a great passion for what he's preaching what he preaches is not biblically biblically accurate and they wonder oh wonder why he's he's wondering why he's not, not going with the bible I, I wonder why he's so far off well because he's a new convert right he's a new convert it, it's kind of like this it's, it's kind of like taking someone who, who for the first time takes a plane ride, right? They, they, they get their ticket and they go on a plane ride and they, they enjoy the plane ride and they come off of the plane ride and, and they say, whoo, man, that was awesome. I love that. Man, you know what? Someday I think I want to be a pilot. And, and it, it would be like somebody saying, oh, well, you want to be a pilot? Well, I tell you what, you come back next week and we'll let you fly this plane. That would be disastrous. No one would do that, yet we see oftentimes in churches that very thing taking place. We see new converts come to faith. They think they're called to the pastoral ministry, and so, oh, well, well next week you preach. And they wonder why a disaster takes place in the pulpit that next Sunday. No, no, he needs time to, to be developed. That person needs time to be developed. He, he needs to, to sin under the discipleship of the pastor. He needs to have time to, to learn God's word, to grow in his faith. And then if that call continues on his life, then he, he works up to the pulpit, right? He, he might take a Sunday school class first and, and teach a Sunday school class and then eventually get into the pulpit once he has time to build some experience. And that's the kind of example we see in Scripture as well, isn't it? Paul, for example... When he, goes to, uh, when he goes on his second missionary journey, the first missionary journey, he, he went through places like uh, Derby and Lystra and, and other places, and he establishes these churches. And then on his second missionary journey, he goes back through, and on his way through, when he comes to these two towns, Derby and Lystra, he, he hears about young Timothy. Tell you what, Paul, there's this young man here, young Timothy, Oh, he's such a godly man. He, he has bought into the faith. He has received Christ. And, and he just has so much promise. And so what did Paul do? He made him a pastor of the church of Lystra. No, that's not what he does. Acts chapter 16, verse 3 says that Paul wanted to, Timothy to accompany him. He said, come on, Timothy. You come with me. You come with me. You work with me for a while. And that's what he did. Paul took him under his wing, and he worked with Timothy for years. And then finally, after several years of working in the ministry with Paul, after gaining some experience in the faith, then Paul takes Timothy, and he leaves him at Ephesus, 
And he tells young Timothy in Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy 4, 12, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. See, Timothy was still a relatively young man, but now he had experience. He had experience in the ministry. He walked with Paul. He learned Scripture from Paul. And now he was able to step into that pastoral role, that role of leadership. So a godly leader has experience in the faith, has experience in the faith. And so we should be developing young leaders, even within our church, giving them that experience, growing them up to, to, to lead in our church. So the six qualities of a godly leader, wisdom and experience. Third, righteousness. The third quality of a godly leader is righteousness. Look there in uh, verse 16. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with them, with him. Judge righteously. Now, if a judge is to judge righteously, and by the way, a judge in Israel was a little bit different than what we might think of as a judge, and you know this if you read Judges, uh, but they, they weren't like, you know, put on the robe and sit in the court all day and hear cases. No, they were, they were, more, uh, they were more of a leadership role within Israel. They had some of those kind of uh, tasks to do, but uh, they were leaders within Israel. And he says, judge righteously. Now, if they're to judge righteously, then they themselves must be righteous right they must be pursuers of righteousness themselves now what is righteousness that's almost a foreign term to our culture and i feel like every time i preach about righteousness i have to explain it uh, because it's such a foreign term to our culture righteousness is being morally right morally upright that's what righteousness is it's someone who, who strives to be morally upright, who pursues morality. And, and we see this in the qualifications, again, of elders. Uh, Timothy, or excuse me, Titus, chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must be above reproach. And he goes on to kind of give some ex explanation of what that means. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He is to be upright. He is to be above reproach. He is to be a righteous man, one who pursues righteousness. Not perfect, right? Because we're not, none of us are perfect. He, he's not perfect in righteousness. There's only one who is perfect in righteousness. But here's a man or a woman who pursues righteousness. They pursue righteousness. They, they try to live a morally upright life. They try to be morally upright. You, you see, as a godly leader... This whole thing, you know, do as I say, not as I do, that doesn't fly in godly leadership. A godly leader is one like Paul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
be imitators of me as I am of Christ. A godly leader sets the example for others to follow. Dear friend, if you want to be a godly leader, you've got to be able to set the example for those under your leadership. At, at whatever level of leadership you have, whether it be to your children or to the church, you must be a godly example of righteousness to those who are under your charge. A godly leader is righteous. He pursues or she pursues righteousness. Not perfect righteousness, but a pursuer of righteousness, living to model Jesus Christ to others in their lives. So a godly leader, the six qualities of a godly leader, wisdom, experience, righteousness, and number four, impartiality. Impartiality. Uh, a righteous, or excuse me, a godly leader must be impartial. Notice what it says there again in, in verse 16. And I charge the judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. Verse 17, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. A godly leader is impartial. He is impartial. Now, people in our culture tend to be partial. They show partiality. Uh, that's kind of our, our natural way, right? We, we tend to show partiality to, to people. I had a, a former acquaintance of mine, Richard. Richard was a well-off man. He, he was a wealthy man. And uh, one day, he was out in his yard. He was working in his yard, so he had his old cut-off blue jeans on, an old ratty T-shirt. And as he was working in his yard, he, he ran out of gas. And when he ran out of gas, he thought, well, I'll just run down here to the, the, the gas station and, and get some gas. So he threw the gas jug in his old beat-up pickup truck. He ran down to the gas station and got some gas. On his way back home, he, he drove by the car lot, the new car lot. And he remembered that his wife had told him, man, I, I, I love that new car out there on the front row of the car lot. Could you run by there sometime and check it out? I, I think I would like that. They were in the market for a new vehicle. So uh, he said, you know what, while I'm out here, I'll just go by the car lot and I'll look at that car that she loves so much. And if, if it's uh, suitable, if I think it'll work for us, and I'll just buy it. Well, he stopped in there again in his cutoff short shorts and his old ratty t-shirt and his old beat, beat up pickup truck he pulls up in the car lot there and uh, he has to go up to a salesperson and uh, he gets the salesperson attention he says I want to look at that brand new car out there on the front line and the car dealer looked at him and looked him up down and said you know what that's really an expensive car I got one just about like it back here in the used car lot why don't we go look at it I think you'll like it much better well, Richard looked at him and like, hmm, you know what? I think I've changed my mind. And, and so Richard left the car lot. He went home. He parked his old beat-up pickup truck. He went in the house. He took a shower. He put on his fancy three-piece suit, combed his hair, got in the Cadillac, their, their nice car, and drove back up to the car lot. When he drove into the car lot, another salesman ran out to meet him. Yes, sir, how can I help you today, sir? I want to look at that car on the front of the line. I want to test drive it. 
Oh, yes, sir. He ran in the, the dealership, got the car keys, brought them back out. Richard drove the car, said, I like it. I want to buy it. They went back in. They started the paperwork. Richard saw that other guy in there, happened to be in there. He walked up to him, said, you know, I came in here earlier, and I had my old cut-off jeans and my ratty T-shirt, and you made a judgment, and you lost a sale. I just bought that car that you wouldn't show me. You see, we tend to be that way, though. We, we show partiality. We, we judge people by their outward appearance. But God doesn't do that. Right? God doesn't do that. When, when Samuel went out to anoint the new king over Israel, Samuel even did that, right? When all of David's brothers came before him, oh, surely it's this one, man. He's, he's tall and handsome and strong in stature. Surely this is the man of God. Nope, Samuel, that's not him. That's not him. Oh, it's, surely it's this brother. It's this man. Because look at him. Just look at him. Nope, nope, Samuel, it's not him. Listen here, Samuel. I don't look at a person's outward appearance. I look at a man's heart. And they went out to the, the, the flock and they said, bring in the runt. Bring in old little old David. Bring him in here. This is my king. See, God looks at the heart. And a godly leader follows God's, God's lead. And a godly leader is not partial. A godly leader can't look at the outward appearance and makes judgment, but a godly leader is impartial. He's impartial. He doesn't show partiality to the uh, the, the church member or the alien coming in off the street. So he is impartial. He is impartial. He must be impartial. James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say uh, and you say you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man you stand over there or sit it down at my feet have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts dear friends we as christians we can't show partiality we must be impartial and so much so, godly leaders are impartial in their judgments. So a godly leader is, has wisdom, has experience, pursues righteousness, has impartiality, and number five, has courage. Number five, the fifth quality of a godly leader is courage. He has courage. Notice what he says there, the latter part of verse 17. You shall not be imita uh, excuse me, intimidated. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. You shall not be Im uh, imitated. My goodness, I can't say that word. <laughs> you cannot be in intim intimidated. My goodness, it's just one of those, yeah, mm-hmm. You cannot be intimidated. You have to have courage in the face of, of pressure. That is, a godly leader is courageous. He, he fears no person or no party. Fears no person or no party. You know, when it comes to American politics, we have seen so many of our public leaders evolve in their morality, haven't we? 
they always evolve in their morality. Why do they evolve in their morality? Because of the pressure put on to them by other people, by their party. However, godly leadership does not evolve on moral issues. Godly leadership cannot evolve on moral issues. Right is right, wrong is wrong. Godly leadership courageously pursues justice and moral righteousness, period. Godly leadership must be courageous. It must be courageous. But you might think, you might ask, well, then how are we to know what is morally right? I mean, I mean doesn't morality kind of shift with the culture? Well, certainly that's what our secular culture wants us to believe. Secular philosophers believe that morality changes. It shifts with the culture. So whatever the culture defines as right and wrong, that's what's right and wrong. So that's why we see so many politicians today evolving in their morality, right? Used to, they were against abortion, but now they've evolved. They've evolved because culture says abortion is, is right, so it, it's got to be right. Or, or, or used to, you had a lot of uh, politicians who, who believed that marriage was supposed to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime but now they've evolved because our culture says no it can be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman or, or whatever but you see god's word has no room for evolution of morality a godly leader fears no one and no party because a godly leader stands upon the word of god Morality does not change because God doesn't change. God is the standard for morality, not the politicians, right? The politicians don't decide what's moral and immoral. President Biden doesn't determine what is moral and immoral. Congress doesn't decide what is moral or immoral. The, the, the Supreme Justice does not decide what is moral and immoral. God decides what's moral and, and immoral. For the judgment, the scripture says, belongs to God. The judgment is God's. It's his. He is the standard, and he sets the standard. There's no room for compromise. So a godly leader cannot compromise on moral issues. We stand upon the morality of God revealed in his word, period period and we cannot give way on that a godly leader is courageous is courageous he fears no one but god alone he fears god alone he stands courageously upon the very word of god so six qualities of a godly leader wisdom experience righteousness impartiality courage and then Finally, number six here, humility. Humility. A godly leader is humble. A godly leader knows his limits. Notice what it says there in the latter part, uh, part of verse 17. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. A godly leader is humble. He knows his limits. He knows he can't do it all, and he knows his, his strength depends upon the Lord his God ultimately a godly leader is humble he is humble you know there's only one 
perfect godly leader. Only one perfect godly leader, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, is the only perfect godly leader. We can never be as godly as he is, right? We, we can never come to the perfection that he has accomplished. Jesus is the wisdom of God, Scripture says. As for, as for experience, he is the eternal son of God. He is perfect in righteousness, impartial to a fault, courageous beyond all measure, and is the perfect example of humility. Second Corinthians, or excuse me, uh, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, exemplify the humility of Jesus Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he was God, yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We could never grasp it. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh, how, what courage, what humility he displayed in order to save us from our sins. Therefore, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the chief shepherd. I am but an under-shepherd. He is the ultimate leader of the church, the ultimate leader of your household, and the sovereign king over all of creation. If you want to pursue godly leadership, come under the leadership of Jesus Christ. Surrender to him as Lord. He died for you. He gave himself for you. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he will empower you to become more and more like him. He'll fuel godly leadership in you if you only trust him. Perhaps you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to him. Surrender to him today. Submit to his leadership. And he will save you. Oh, Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you that you reveal to us these qualities of a godly leader. And Lord, we strive for them. Each and every one of us, we should strive for these qualities in our own lives. So that in whatever capacity, Lord, you have called us to, to lead, whether it be in the church, whether it be in, in government, whether it be in our own families, whatever the case may be, wherever you've called us to have place of leadership, Lord, let us exemplify these to those under our charge. Let us help us to be godly leaders in our lives. And Lord, if there's those today who 
have never trusted in Jesus. Lord, they've been following the leadership of this world. They've been following the prince of the power of the air, the son that is now at work, in, or the power that has worked now in the sons of disobedience. Lord, they're following his leadership. Lord, let them see Jesus today and surrender to his perfect leadership in their lives. Lord, save them through the power of Jesus Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.